Hi, this is Andy Buckley, David Wallace, CFO, Dunder Mifflin Corporate. You're listening to That's What She Said. That's What She Said, episode 34, The Deposition. Wow, that is really hard. You really think you can go all day long? Well, you always left me satisfied and smiling, so... That's what she said! (laughs) Suicide doors on my 57 Chevy Roll around town like a hero I got you on my mind Just like all the time Pedal down, nowhere to go Welcome to episode 34 of That's What She Said, a podcast about the Emmy Award-winning NBC show, The Office. As always, I'm your human resources coordinator, Matt Summer, and this week we're going to be taking an in-depth and spoiler-filled look at the eighth and perhaps final episode of season four, entitled The Deposition, which originally aired Thursday, November 15th, 2007. Michael in the middle? When Jan sues Dunder Mifflin, Michael once again finds himself balanced between sexy Scylla and corporate Charybdis. Side with Jan, the love of his life, or with BFF boss Ryan, who's just as sexy as Jan, but in a different way. Decisions, decisions. At least Flenderson's got his back. Meanwhile, Kelly's talked her last smack, and Pam's fed up with the floppy-haired girl she dates, losing to Daryl at Ping Pong. Will Jim step up to defend Pam's honor? Only Zoran Primorach knows for sure. Lots to discuss, lots to talk about. Let's head on over to the water cooler. It's a real shame, because studies have shown that more information gets passed through water cooler gossip than through official memos, which puts me at a disadvantage, because I bring my own water to work. Why did you do this? I didn't do it. Oh, the water cooler was brought over here for maintenance. So what do you guys hear? What's the scuttlebutt? And joining me at the water cooler this week is the return of our long, long lost, departed prodigal son, Senior Sales Associate, Ian Castleberry. Ian, how you doing? Well, hello. <laughs> oh, man, where have you been so nice since to be May, back. Uh, sitting in the old desk. I see somebody messed with my butt groove in my chair, but <laughs> by the time we're done, I think I'll have that worn in just yeah, fine. Drew kind of messed it up last week. But, uh, <laughs> so what have you been up to since last summer, my friend? Been doing a lot of baseball writing, doing a little traveling, seeing the world, living the dream, basically. All right, sounds good. Now, uh, you want to talk about that a little bit? Where are you uh, doing your baseball blogging? I blog about the Detroit Tigers at blessyouboys.com, which is a site for Sports Blogs Nation. All right, and how are the Tigers doing? They're doing. They're keeping me busy. They're doing <laughs> a lot of making a lot of trades, doing a lot of signings in the off season, which I know I'm sure is just people's eyes are already glazing over listening to this. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so I'm having a great time doing it. All right. Well, I was wondering what kind of action you got during the off season. Well, here we are. Like I said, we're back, and uh, as I mentioned in the intro, the eighth and perhaps last episode of season four. I don't know what to make of that. There. Um, That's what it took to bring me back. <laughs> Uh, that's true. Now, Ian, since we haven't had you here so far, I mean, what's uh, overall season four better, worse than season three, similar? What do you think? I'd say better. Uh, it, it seems, uh, that, that to me, there feels like a little more of a, a comfort level. Like the, the Jim Pam thing, I think it just becomes so dominant uh, a storyline, even when the the writers tried not to make it a part of the episode. And the fact that they're just, they just are right now. <laughs> yeah. I think I think it's kind of liberated. Any episode um, highlights uh, from season four out of the first seven episodes so far? Having grown a beard myself, I'm a big fan of Ryan's beard. <laughs> or yeah. who, who called it a metro beard on the blog page? I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> so, yeah, I love that scene in the episode this week where he's uh, sitting with his other two flunkies who have the exact same little scrubby beards. <laughs> Big fan of um, the whole Ryan thing. Actually, I just as as I've emailed to you, I think he makes a great villain. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I guess, uh, like I said before, I've been really kind of happy so far with season four, and I think the season four is off to a much more solid start. Man, I was really looking forward to kind of the, what it seems like they're doing with the gym tries to find himself plotline for season four and, and as i said last week i hope hope that we get a chance here to see that play out definitely a highlight would would be him having to confront karen <laughs> I, I thought that was a great scene all the people who rooted for that relationship I, to see karen get that get her moment yeah she really manhandled him i don't know he's uh, she did <laughs> he slunk out of there with the tail between his legs 
Well, let's go back to uh, our topic at hand here. The deposition. Now, for me, it was a very powerful, emotional episode, actually, uh, like a lot of them have been this season, which is kind of weird. Like, there's been a very a very heavy tilt kind of toward the drama side of things. Yeah, this I had think. the potential to be a very dramatic episode. And um, uh, Thankfully, it wasn't. But. <laughs> well, there were... i, I got to say, I'll come out and say it again right here, that there's... Two moments in the show, uh, or at least one moment for sure, where I had a little little tear in my eye for poor Michael. Um, I still feel bad for the guy. I like the character so much, uh, especially after last week, after that really humanizing kind of final speech that we got out of him. And uh, it's hard to go back to kind of the cartoonish buffoon Michael after one of those really sort of character-driven, really kind of in-depth Michael episodes like that last week. I totally agree with that. It's hard to see him be a complete buffoon <laughs> when you when you get those those glimpses of you know that he that he does kind of get what's going on and you know yeah. we've talked about before that he is actually pretty good at his job. <laughs> well, he just we, might be a terrible office manager, but yeah, and that's one of those things. You know, maybe Jan was right in his uh, evaluation. You know, maybe he should maybe he should go back to uh, to sales. Maybe he'd be a happier. <laughs> Happier guy, I don't know. But Bring her some carrots. Definitely. This, I mean, we were talking about this before, that despite being really dramatic, the the Michael plotline was really full of kind of those typical Michael buffoonish kind of mistakes and moments that we've seen all the last couple of years. Using the wrong word, not knowing what a word means, all those are kind of typical Michael gags mm-hmm. that we've gotten before. And a couple of things really stayed before me. For one, I don't care. The biggest laugh-out-loud moment that I had in this episode was when he pushed Flenderson's plate off the table. <laughs> you know, that was so... It was such a big laugh, because I really thought, oh, my God, they're going to have some kind of moment here. <laughs> it, it was it was just set up so perfectly. And you I argue, totally fell for it. I totally fell for it. Man, you can argue this over the top or whatever. I don't know. I just thought it was hilarious. Uh, people have been... People have been saying that I, I hate Flenderson so much and, and that I'm always ragging on him, but I cannot help it. I don't know. He just, he opened up, he, like you said, he tried to, <laughs> gave this heart-wrenching speech about his parents' divorce. <laughs> Michael just <laughs> shoves, very very coldly and calculatedly shoves his tray off the edge of the table <laughs> and then gets up and walks away. He doesn't even do it dramatically. He just kind of <laughs> slowly edges it and then... <laughs> Without a word, and then gets up. Yeah, but I guess uh, Toby sort of gets his revenge moment later in the. Oh, death most definitely. There. I have a feeling that uh, <laughs> that diary will be bedtime reading for Flunderson. I can understand why that would be so so crushing to Michael to have that come to light, especially to have his arch enemy reading his deepest, innermost thoughts. There has to be something in there about him too, don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> Every day, you know, dear diary. <laughs> <laughs> Flenderson again. <laughs> Wanted that Flenderson damn birthday cake. That's wrong with Thunder Mifflin. <laughs> well, like I said, that uh, that episode was really that part of the episode. I thought was it had a very emotional payout at the end, and and really kind of revealed the, that the Michael and Jan relationship is really sort of multi-layered and and rather bizarrely twisted as yeah. well. Now the Jim Pam plotline. Gotta say, not really loving it, and the real reason why is kind of strange for me to, under, to explain, I guess, because the concept itself, them actually playing ping pong in the office, is very much in line with classic office episodes from the past, like the, the Office Olympics, or other things where they're just kind of, you know, they're free in the office while Michael's gone, and they're just kind of looking for ways to kill time, and mm-hmm. the stuff with, like, with Jim playing, like, where Kevin walks in there, and he's like, awesome, you know, like, that stuff, that was great, I love that stuff, I love that whole thing, I love, I love Dwight, and, again, another thing that we have, that Dwight is, like, the master of something, that, uh, (laughs) who would ever, ever suspected that, but, but, you know, after last week, again, so he's the, the survival man, now he's the superstar table tennis champ, I like that stuff. talk about Laird. I really like that stuff, and I like the other scenes with the other people in the office and the deleted scene where like Phyllis and Stanley are in there playing together. But the, I, the one thing I just can't get over with this plot line is Pam's behavior just seems so out of character. And I'll lay this out there, what I'm talking about. Pam and Jim have always served as the, they've served as surrogates for the audience, right? They've been sort of like always kind of looking down or looking sideways at the stupid behavior that goes on in the office like winking at us saying boy look how dumb these people are and they've always kind of been a little detached from the insanity in the office 
Um, this week, Pam was just insane. I mean, she was literally insane with this, I don't know, for some reason, Kelly's smack-talking drove her to a place where she was not, I mean, she wasn't even taking this uh, from a distance. She wasn't laughing at Kelly's behavior. She was totally 100% embroiled in it. And it took the episode down a little bit of a notch for me because that to me is sort of like what I would expect in, in, in a typical kind of sitcom. Like Carrie Heffernan gets mad and so she's going to push Doug to, to play ping pong. And it almost just read like that to me. I was a little disappointed with, with, with her actions and her behavior. And in the deleted scenes, it was even even worse to an even more ridiculous degree. And uh, now I know you didn't think that way at all, so I might just be crazy. Well, one, one difference in the example you talked about, like if uh, King of Queens, for instance, was having a plot like that, that would have been the driving plot of the entire episode where it was a subplot here. And I, I just, I don't, it, it wasn't as hard for me to believe that Pam would do something that seems out of character because she's in a situation that's very different for her now. Yeah, you know, she's been her, out of character for all season, pretty much, <laughs> since last year. And I, I don't mean that in a bad way, but she's been in a different place. You know, she had that character arc, so who is Fancy New Beasley? But um, just because you're, you uh, are often detached from the insanity and like to comment on it, doesn't mean that you can't occasionally get pulled in, too. <laughs> Maybe it would have been better if uh, that had been pointed out to her yeah. at some point during the episode. Maybe that would have come off a little more believably. Like, I, I think you said this before, that, uh, you know, if Jim would have called her on it, at least briefly even, just a mention, like, oh, you're getting a little worked up about this, huh? Or uh, or something to that effect. I, that might have cut through it, I guess. I kind of felt like that was almost there, because he seemed so surprised that... Or, well, not so surprised. He seemed surprised that Pam was taking this so seriously. Yeah, I mean, he, wasn't, he didn't really care about beating Daryl. He was kind of on that angle, where he's... You know, well, I'm just playing for fun, but I, still, it would have been kind of interesting to see him maybe call her on on the behavior, like you said, out loud or something, because especially after the last few episodes where she's kind of had this detached uh, view of Jim getting himself into trouble, you know, like uh, with the birthday party thing and then setting him up, you know, and <laughs> making fun of him when he's going to Utica, you're like, oh, you're going to see your girlfriend, you know, all that kind of stuff. And and now it, it would have been kind of interesting maybe to have him turn the tables and have I her... I agree, that would have been an interesting reversal. Yeah. Have her realize that, yeah, she went a little crazy, but that realization actually never comes in this episode. But I could uh, also see how she would just get ticked off at Kelly being right in her face and just being so ridiculous and juvenile. And... <laughs> well, that one thing where they're, like, coming out of the bathroom, that's, like, so... That's so, like, ridiculously confrontational. She won't, yeah. like, get out of her way. That's what I thought. Man, you see what happens when she starts hopefully hanging around Pam, with Daryl? Hopefully Pam really stunk it up in the bathroom right you know, before that. <laughs> oh, get my the ultimate goodness. revenge. Jeez. Still, I still have that question in the back of my head, like a lot of the blog posters here. Um, I'm not getting it. I'm, I'm still not. I wasn't a fan of the relationship when it started. I knew that they were going to keep it up. I was hoping they weren't going to keep it up, but, you know, I, I guess, like I said, I guess Daryl, just like Ryan does, he likes Kelly's junk in the trunk. He's going to put up with her crazy behavior, I guess. All right, well, let's uh, get right into this episode then here. Really only two big plot lines, and starts off, of course, with Michael and Jan driving to New York, and <sighs> I'm a little disappointed, I don't know why, I guess I'm... I was expecting a bigger kind of introduction to Michael's PT Cruiser, which I guess is now his default vehicle. <laughs> we got a brief mention of it in the Branch Wars, but uh, here it is mm. again. I guess the Sebring people didn't want to renew the deal that they had with the, <laughs> with the show or something. But uh, What did you think about having the camera in the back as opposed to having like the dashboard camera that they've had in other episodes? Well, it didn't bother me. I mean, because they've, they've done that a few times where the camera person's with them, like um, with the lake scene, for example. The woods thing last week, they did the same thing with the cameraman in the back seat. What I thought was kind of weird, there's actually a few shots in this episode where they're driving where the camera's really far away from the car, which I thought was odd, unless the documentarian was somehow like <laughs> filming them through another car that was ahead of them in traffic, which seems a little weird, but uh, been. maybe I'm thinking too much. Well, now that I think about <laughs> it, I guess it, it makes sense to have the cameraman in the back this time because you had the exposition of explaining what was going on 
as yeah. he's explaining to the cameraman, or as if it was just a dashboard camera, you know, presumably they'd just be having a normal conversation. Exactly. So here's the deal. I am on my way to New York to be deposed as part of Jan's wrongful termination lawsuit. The company fired her for having the courage to augment her boobs. And they displayed a pattern of disrespect and, and inappropriate behavior. Yes. Tell them how much you're going to get if you win. Uh, come on, Michael, that's tacky. Million dollars. Four million. Four million dollars! That is a lot of guacamole. Come on. Perfect crime. Stop saying ridiculous things. He's just going to tell the truth. The truth is, is very, you know, complicated, so we went over it carefully, and, and just so that we wouldn't leave anything up to chance or Michael's judgment. Could we please pull over? No, why would they? You'd think that they know that this is being filmed, right? Like, why would they? Michael's so stupid there. He's talking about, oh, it's the perfect crime. Uh, <laughs> shows him like rehearsing his answers and everything. Oh my goodness! Oh, that's you know the dense Michael Scott there. You know, or, or he's maybe he's so worried about saying the wrong thing that the wrong things begin leaking out. You know. Oh, well, my friend Pat took a turn for that. <laughs> I don't know. That was kind of a goofy little scene right there where he's memorized, trying to memorize word for word. Uh, all of her phrases there with these yeah, what is devices. It? I'm trying to think what school of thought that is or what approach that's... Well, it worked pretty well until he got stuck, and then they kind of came back for that, that uh, payoff with the wine remark there when he got <laughs> stuck. But, uh, but yeah, that was pretty strange. There's our big setup here for the episode, and a couple of little sight gags along the way there with uh, Michael having to pull the top down, of course, and, and Jan, and we flipped Jan with her crazy hair. Yeah. She's brushing down furiously yeah, funny. in the uh, New York office. Now, this is the tough part for Michael, and this is kind of the, the linchpin of the whole episode here, is that he's always been a very loyal company man, and now Jan is asking him to report against his company, and Ryan knows exactly what he's doing. Ryan knows <laughs> that Michael likes him and, and is playing off on him, and Ryan milks it for all he's worth to try to get Michael to see things the Dunder Mifflin way. Can we talk off the record as friends? <sighs> I would love that. Jan has put the company in a very tough position here. Now, you've been with us for a long time, over 10 years, right? We just want to be sure that you won't do anything to hurt us with your testimony. Do you understand? Absolutely, yeah. I'll, I'll do anything for the company. Good. That is great to hear. It is. So he's right there drinking the Kool-Aid, you know. He wants that friendship. Ryan even throws it out there. Let's talk as friends. Yeah, brilliantly manipulative there by Ryan. That arch, arch villain. And I'm so glad to see this kind of Ryan, this sort of slightly slimy, believable sort of boss kind of character, rather than that Austin Powers supervillain that we saw during Dunder Mifflin Infinity. Yeah. Much more subtle, obviously, but yeah, he exactly, he knows exactly what he's doing to play Michael. Now, this, I just had to throw this scene in there because it, <laughs> it makes no sense whatsoever, but it's, again, another... Wait, can I throw out a real quick comment? Yeah, if you're right. Jan's lawyer, do you actually let that conversation take place? Uh... Man, I don't Between know. Between Ryan and, and Michael. Yeah, I, I, mean, I don't know. I I certainly am not a lawyer. I guess it's but, technically uh, his boss, so he yeah, yeah. has to talk to him if he wants to. But interesting question, I guess. Any of our lawyer friends in the audience, perhaps, let us know the procedure. Lawyer up. <laughs> well, and then this next clip, again, I just want to play this because it goes, uh, well, goes right to the heart of Michael's character. And, of course, I hate Toby's. Hi, everyone. Diane Kelly. I'm the company's chief legal counsel. Hi. Okay. No, no. Absolutely not. What is he doing here? Toby? Are you renewing your divorce vows before my deposition? Michael, I'm your HR rep. I'm on your side. Never. I want him gone. I don't talk until he leaves. Michael, just relax, okay? You know what? I think they're uh, ready for us now, so... Okay. All right. One. Blender said... Okay, go down swinging the way you believe, man. <laughs> Oh, man. Is that ever going to get tired with uh, the Flunderson gags, do you think? A little bit. <laughs> well, this one maybe was a little too much. Uh, the tray thing, obviously, was sublime, in my opinion. But, uh, well, you can't well, some interesting takes on it, though. I mean, you know, we had my, uh, Jim's take on, on Toby. <laughs> yeah, I love, uh, man, I loved that one last week. Awesome. Well, you know, Michael goes into the deposition, and, of course, very formal and asking these very structured questions. And that's where we get into kind of those malapropisms and, and the typical Michael sort of buffoonery with the, how long have you known the plaintiff? 
oh well i haven't read that one yet i'm, I'm gonna rent the firm at first and <laughs> and then see that one or whatever but yeah come on he's not that stupid but still yeah exactly that's one of my that was one of my complaints with the episode i mean he's dense but is he stupid you know it's the thing i mean the real stupid one's jan for having him testify <laughs> well she has a little talking head where she's like you know it's a big risk maybe those in the deleted scenes i can't remember but she talked about that uh I thought that it was a big risk and that she had to kind of take the chance because I don't think she really has any other backups, any other people to back her crazy story. As the then deposition gets rolling, of course, Michael gets himself, I guess this is sort of the office equivalent of the classic who's on first routine. How long have you known Ms. Levinson? Six years and two months. And you were directly under her the entire time? That's what she said. Excuse me? That's what she said. Ms. Levinson told you that she was your direct superior? Well, uh, come again? That's what she said? Okay. I don't know what you're talking if about. If I may, he, he was just telling a joke before, so can we move on to another oh. question? Can you go back to where this digression began? Mr. Schneider, and you were directly under her the entire time. Mr. Scott, that's what she said. Well, delivery's all wrong. It's butchering it. <laughs> Man, it's, it's getting... <laughs> it's it's a, direct, a direct kind of reference way back to Diversity Day. With the, the Chris Rock routine, same thing. <laughs> Delivery's all wrong. You're butchering the routine. There you go. That's where people. That's where your billable hours go when you hire a lawyer. You know, the funny thing is when you listen to this, like that, there was so much court reporting readback in this episode. It was it was bizarre. It was almost sort of like this exercise in sort in kind of deconstructing the script or deconstructing jokes, like taking all the fun or whatever out of these lines because they're read so blandly. Just like that. I think Michael's right, man. Well, uh, yeah, I and mean, the whole thing was just uh, <laughs> harching Michael's mellow. You know, he was going to perform, and then, you know, having it <laughs> deconstructed right there by the stenographer. The uh, the deposition, as it keeps rolling, gets even a little bit more uncomfortable when Michael has to sort of defend, <laughs> according to Jan's script at least, why she was fired. And I like that, too, from before, the line that we played where... <laughs> She was let go for having the courage and bravery to augment her boobs. <laughs> Did Ms. Levinson ever say why she thought she was being fired? She thought it had to do with the twins. Can you be more specific? Who are the twins? Um, to be delicate, they hang off Milady's chest. They make milk. You don't need to go any further. Her breasts. Yes. She thought it had something to do with her recent breast enhancement surgery. Yes. And frankly, the timing was nothing short of predominant. I love how his idea of being delicate is to, like, throw milady into the... <laughs> they make milk. <laughs> they hang from milady's chest. That sounds almost like an Anchorman line or something. I can just imagine Ron Burgundy <laughs> dropping something like that. It's kind of funny how they this this episode actually does kind of dig back to a lot of points from the previous seasons. For example, with Michael produces the love contract yes. that they signed during cocktails, and he actually has it in a frame like he promised he would. <laughs> and there he goes. He busts it out. Says, "Here it is." Makes a oh. surprise noise. Yep. And we were always <laughs> wondering what what happened with uh, that emailed photo. Yeah, there you go. We, we we now some people and you and I also talked about this last year that we thought it was kind of hard to believe that the that Jan would never know about it, but apparently she never did know about it until today. Until that still fateful find that hard to believe. That to, I mean, he didn't necessarily send it to the whole company, right? He might have just like sent it to everybody he sends his jokes to. Or, or well, whatever. I have to go back and check it, but I swear I thought they said it was everybody in the company. Oh, okay. Or at least no, he sent it a packaging. Or whatever. Wasn't that what it was? And then oh, Daryl right. forwarded it on to people. Yes. Okay. So, <laughs> okay, so Daryl presumably would not have sent it to Jan. No, I'm guessing not. But although you'd think in, in today's climate that somehow it would get back to her. You know, That's a long way would, to swim. In any case, yeah, we'll, we'll buy into the fact that she was blindsided by the picture. And this is, again, this is right here coming up. This is sort of where I started to start to get a little... Little misty-eyed, I guess, for Michael. Sort of really feel sorry for the guy. After the defense produces the Jamaica Jan Sun Princess photo, Jan strikes back. Wait, we'd like to enter into the record a page from Michael Scott's personal journal. Whoa, 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 whoa! What are you doing with my diary? Paul, Paul. I quote from an entry dated January 4 of this past year. Just got back from Jamaica. 
Oh, diary, what a week. I had sex with my boss. I don't know if it's going to go anywhere. Jan was very specific that this is not going anywhere, that it was a one-time mistake. But we had sex six times, so you tell me. It would appear that neither you nor Ms. Levinson considered you had a relationship in any sense of the word. We're going to need to see a copy of that entire journal before we proceed. I don't think anyone in this room has a right to read my diary. Okay, let's make ten copies of this diary. Um, could you make it eleven? And there's the, there's the rub right there. It's bad enough that they have to give this up for uh, for evidence, but then Slenderson yeah. requests a copy. So if nothing, I mean, that's got to be the, the one that sticks under his craw the most. Yeah, as humiliating as that was, I, just the, the final kick while he's down is the knowing that <laughs> Flinderson's going to have it. Can you make it a lemon? But, I mean, he actually probably needs it, doesn't he? I mean, if it's an HR matter. Yeah, I suppose, but still. I mean, it's bad enough, like you said. It's bad enough that anybody else has it, but the fact that his arch enemy has his private diary, that's, uh, that's a little too much for Michael to take, I think. And... The other thing in the, I don't know, it's the way that they read this, it's so bizarre, like I said, the uh, the way that they deadpan and read this stuff, this kind of funny stuff, and he's really monotonous oh, voices. And <laughs> yeah, and the other stuff before that, he's, he says something like, um, I'm tan almost everywhere, I had Jan almost everywhere, he he. <laughs> <laughs> and he reads that off. It's just so uh, ridiculous. You I just totally see, see him writing that while he's on his stomach, on his bed, with you his know. Legs his legs kicking in the air. Exactly. <laughs> Pencil in his ear, chewing gum. <laughs> oh, man. No diary. No <laughs> oh, diary. It was a whirlwind. I like that line, too. You <laughs> said it was a one-time thing, but we did it six times, so <laughs> you tell me. Well, and this is the thing, then. It says it's super awkward. They they pause there to break for lunch, and then Michael has to go down and venture into the office cafeteria. Amidst the shame of all the people there sitting there reading and pouring through his diary, and as we mentioned before, it's, you know, it's kind of hilarious. Ryan has this little group of bearded cronies, lawyers, and they're pouring over the diary. And, well, that only leaves one empty chair. I sit here. You know, I, uh, I know a little bit about what you're going through in a way. When I was a kid, my parents got divorced. They both wanted custody, and they both asked me to testify against the other one in court. So, I don't know. I didn't want him to get divorced in the first place, you know. I love them both so much. I just want <laughs> Mr. Scott, who is this other woman, Ryan? Aren't we trying to determine whether Michael and Jan were engaged in a romantic affair? Not Michael and this Ryan person. Flinderson <laughs> <laughs> gets the last laugh after all. <laughs> Man, I don't know. I love that tray. I cannot help. I'm sorry. It's awesome. Uh, that, that's a, that's a uh, recurring gag I always enjoyed was his man crush on Ryan. <laughs> yeah, they haven't really played that up at all that much the last year or so. Um, I, even last year towards the end of the season, you know, where he was kind of mad at Ryan, threw him in the annex, told him that he didn't know anything about business, you know, all that kind of stuff. We haven't seen that for a while, but, yeah, it definitely came back with a vengeance. Who's this woman, Ryan? <laughs> Uh, like I mentioned in the intro, what does he say? He's just, a, se- just as sexy as Jan, but in a different way. <laughs> but again, Michael's just taking punch after punch after punch. And that's, again, like I said, I started really feeling bad, really bad for the guy. I, I don't want to see him get brought down here. don't want to see him suffer. Yeah, like you said, uh, another punch there, the diary, and then we get another couple of punches here coming up. And this one particularly was, was really nasty and, and made me get a little tear in my eye, and, and it looked like Michael had a tear in his eye, and they actually sat and lingered on it for a while. <laughs> Over the commercial break, uh, Carell looked like he was really squeezing one out there. They set it up here basically, try to each side's trying to put Michael against the other, just like with Flenderson's parents. And uh, <laughs> Thunder Mifflin's lawyer basically reads the, you know, reads off a performance review done by Jan after they submitted their love contracts. Mr. Scott, this is a copy of a particularly negative performance review. You may read the uh, highlighted portion out loud if you'd like to. I am out of carrots. I am out of sticks. Mr. Scott has time and again proven himself to be an unmanageable employee and a poor branch manager. I recommend he be removed from that position and reassigned to sales where he belongs. 
Mr. Scott, after hearing that, wouldn't you say that Ms. Levinson's judgment is at least very seriously flawed? Mr. Scott? Oh, man, excuse me. It's a little dusty in here. Can you imagine if they ended a season right there? <laughs> that was pretty – yeah, that could have been a good cliffhanger. But, you know, that was – again, that was uh, – talk about a kick in the balls, man. That was – No, that was definitely – you know, possibly taking out of context, too. It, it was established that, that she had written that performance review after um, they filled out that HR form. Yeah, that was, like, the big point. That was the lawyer's big point that they made, that they had supposedly done the contract thing in February – of okay. 2007, and then she said this was dated March. But of, taken uh, out of context, I mean, you know, we know that Jan is, is admittedly self-destructive. <laughs> so, you know, this was maybe some attempt on her part to sabotage this I relationship. Suppose. Or else she was just being very honest, which <laughs> I'm sure we can all agree that that really probably is a very appropriate performance review. It, it probably is. You know, maybe <laughs> she thought if she submits this and Michael gets... Uh, demoted that she doesn't have to face up to uh, what this has become, you know. Their dangerous love, perhaps not. Yes. But like I said before, man, maybe that would be for the best anyway. Maybe that would make Michael happier. He could go back to being his gym self. All right, well, after we come back from the commercial break then, Mom had her chance, sticks the knife in. Now it's Dad's turn, I guess. Um, Jan's lawyer and Jan herself try their best to convince Michael to vote for the winning side. How could you do that to me? Michael, I'm not the enemy, okay? Dunder Mifflin is the enemy. Dunder Mifflin has always treated me with loyalty. Let me show you what kind of loyalty they have, okay? Lester, please read that part of Wallace's deposition. Counsel, Mr. Wallace, regarding Michael Scott, was he a contender to replace Jan Levinson? Was he your first choice? David Wallace, what do you want me to say? Come on, he's a nice guy. There were many people that I considered. Counsel, was he being seriously considered for the corporate job? David Wallace? No. I have one more question, Mr. Scott. Wouldn't you agree with Ms. Levinson that the company exhibits a pattern of disrespect toward its employees? Absolutely not. Why did I do it? Jan said that it was because of the photo that she revealed the diary, but she already brought the diary with her to New York. So you expect to get screwed by your company, but you never expect to get screwed by your girlfriend. That's an awesome yeah. line there, again, aside from all of his bumblings and, and, and uh, misspoken words or whatever. It's a great line, great word of wisdom from Michael Scott at the end. Something that I guess has always sort of set the office apart from, like I said before, from the traditional kind of sitcom is sort of turning these expectations on our heads. Now, mm -hmm. uh, for whatever reason, like David Wallace, this guy's like the damnest, nicest, most likable CEO guy. <laughs> we've ever seen. I mean, you just, that last yeah, scene like there. Yeah, a genuinely decent fella. Yeah, that last scene where Michael, you know, says, I think you're a nice guy too, and they shake hands, and he's like a nice guy. He's really concerned. He's like yeah. apologizing to Michael. I'm sorry you're in the middle. Um, you know, he feels bad when he knows his testimony is going to be read. He feels bad. Maybe, I don't know, maybe he feels bad because he's going to lose the $4 million or whether he's going to hurt Michael's too. feelings. I don't know, but still, yeah. Like, it's, yeah. But, uh, yeah, the Michael focused on the uh, he's a nice guy part, you know, and we know that's that's what Michael wants more than anything, right, is to be liked, to be one of the guys. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, the other thing is, I mean, deep down, I think that we can agree that Michael really isn't as clueless as maybe we think he is. I mean, he knows he didn't get that job. I mean, he knew from the day that he was there that Wallace said, we're not going to hire you. We're going with somebody else, right? And he took his, he said, well, Alex, you know, let me resign or let me take myself out of consideration. And, and, and it was just kind of playing that game, right? I mean, he, yeah. he, he knows, he must know deep down that he really wasn't considered. He must know deep down that he wasn't being groomed, even though he says that in the interview there. Yeah, I'm not sure about that exactly. That's, that's a good question. You know, does, does he really know that he's never going to be more than uh, the branch manager at Scranton, maybe. <laughs> well, it was a sad, it was a sad, really, really kind of emotionally tough episode for Michael there. And what's really kind of weird about it, though, I guess, is I, I again maybe going against what we expect here from a typical show. Uh, earlier in the episode, after he chews Jan out for using his diary, they had that exchange where they basically both tell each other that they love each other. Oh yeah. Which I, I think is a first. We haven't seen them. Uh, 
<laughs> we haven't seen Jan say it, right. have we? So that's that's a first. The funny, I, I, just, you know, their relationship there where they basically <laughs> are really super mad at each other, hate each other, but they're still, I love you. And then at the end, of course, they're driving back home together where everything sort of seems that, like they're still together. I mean, I guess. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, she maybe she uh, maybe Jan thought it was a shot in the dark anyway, especially with uh, Michael as her star witness so to speak <laughs> um so i guess she figured you know she'd take she'd take a swing and see what happens yeah but. well she's in for a penny she's in for a pound she's hitched her wagon to michael scott yes. and uh probably not a good idea they're off to uh get some dinner and i think that michael is you know definitely he's he's got to be one of those dollar menuners <laughs> <laughs> it is now yeah yeah i love that line it's <laughs> You know, can we get something cheaper than Chinese? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, because, you know, if they were having lunch, that would be one thing. You'd get the lunch special or the combo. <laughs> and so they're going to drive the PT Cruiser through the drive through <laughs> Let's head on over to the uh, Pam and Jim plot line here. Obviously, like I said, I mean, the Michael stuff was really intense. So I think they needed a B story to sort of lighten the mood. What's the deal here at uh, Dunder Mifflin while Michael's away? Well, Pam explains. The warehouse got a ping-pong table last week. Now Jim comes down and plays with Daryl. What has two skinny chicken legs and sucks at ping-pong? Hi, Kelly. Guess whose boyfriend it is? I don't want to guess. I'll give you a hint. It's not my boyfriend. I don't talk trash. I talk smack. They're totally different. You have to practice. You have to get really good and beat Daryl. Kelly's trash-talking me because Daryl's beating you. What? Were Jim's parents first cousins that were also bad at ping-pong? So you're asking me to defend your honor against Kelly? Sort of, yes. Bring me players. Okay. All right, so fresh off his turn as Sir Lancelot in Shrek 3, Jim Halpert there defending okay. his lady's honor on the ping pong table. Anything to get the chicks, you know? Yeah, I guess. You got to impress your lady. And, uh, you know, again, this is, I just sort of thought of this, how they're hanging out and chilling down in the warehouse. We've still never got any reaction from any of the warehouse people being angry at Jim or Pam over the whole Roy thing. Uh, yeah, I was thinking about that too. And I, I, at first, I was thinking that might be where they would go with the ping pong game, like why Daryl was uh, so dominant and uh, you know, like hitting it right at him so hard that there'd be some lingering resentment over Roy. But <laughs> it never came up. It, it never even once came up ever since he was fired. You know, it didn't come up in the safety training episode last season, the big heavy warehouse episode, and. Here we are again. They're both just kind of down there hanging out. and eh. <laughs> I was always under the impression that those two guys are really close friends, you know? Or, I thought so, too. You would think that uh, Daryl might not really like Pam because of that. Or Jim as well. I mean, you know, here's, yeah, yeah. she left him, left his friend at the altar. Uh, I guess they're just choosing not to deal with that plot line. And that's the thing. I mean, Pam, like I said before, I went into this enough. I'm not going to keep harping on, on my thoughts about Pam's motivations here, but... After this run-in with Kelly basically getting in her way, you know, not letting her go past her through the bathroom, Pam decides to kick it up a notch and uh, get Jim Boy in gear. Hey, Kevin. Jim needs to see you. He's in the conference room. Oh, awesome. All right, what is going on here? As it turns out, one of our biggest clients is a ping-pong master. And I have to play him tomorrow or we lose the account. Can you help me out? Will you help me practice? What the hell? I told you. All of my heroes are table tennis players. Zoran Primorac, Jan Ovi Wagner, Wang Tao, George Rushkoff, and of course, Ashraf Helmi. I even have a life-size poster of Hugo Hoyam on my wall. And the first time I left Pennsylvania was to go to the Hall of Fame induction ceremony of Andre Gruba. How's it going? Well, he has gone from completely hopeless to simply miserable. So should I schedule the rematch with Daryl now? Wait a minute. Daryl is the client? No, no, no. He works here, dumbass. Right. How <laughs> do you love that line? That's, that's an awesome, <laughs> awesome line there, Dwight. Jim, you idiot. I know. Damn it, Jim. There you go. So you're usually Mr. Research here, so did you actually try to look up any of those names uh, Dwight was dropping there? Well, I, I did, right before we talked about this, I, I did go check Wikipedia for the table tennis champions, and uh, that's why I put that Zoran Primorac in the opening. He was the only guy's name who I could uh, remember off the top of my head. So, uh, yes, he was the Croatian champion during the 90s and the early 2000s. Um, Excellent work. <laughs> but all these other guys, yeah, I just, 
I love that scene in there too, just the way that Rain Wilson's reading off those names. You know, Wang Tao. <laughs> All his favorites. And, you know, this is the thing, I guess you could say that, um, like, Dwight, I guess what's cool about Dwight is that there's so many different ways that they can play this guy. Like, sometimes they sometimes they play him as the deluded loser who thinks he's good at something, but really is, like, kind of an idiot. And then the other times they have him where he's just Mr. Superman, like last week, and where he's out in the woods. And now this week he's, like, the championship table tennis player as well. <laughs> Another thing that we have never heard of before, but uh, apparently, aside from Masioka and Bono. <laughs> I guess it's whatever, uh, you know, is a, a niche uh, hobby that he can either uh, excel at alone or with Moe's, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and let's go back. We might, since I can't really play it, let's talk about that there. What, what did you think about that last 20, whatever, 15 oh, seconds? I love scene? that scene. That was, you know, and we were wondering, you know, were they really playing or did they have a... A CGI ping pong ball in there because oh, they were really going at it. It's got to be CGI. I don't know. It's <laughs> return. I'm just picturing Dwight and Moe as like sneaking back to the office after <laughs> after midnight or whatever to play their giant grudge match. Shirtless, yeah. <laughs> and they both have their uh, safety goggles on <laughs> just in case. Oh man, any excuse to get Mike into that beard. I'm telling you. So how does that play out? Jim trains. Uh, I, I was just imagining like uh, <laughs> I wanted to overlay a. Eye of the Tiger or something during that <laughs> training montage. You know, I was expecting Pam to come out there and tell Jim that he's going to eat lightning and crap thunder. But, uh, <laughs> catch the chicken, Jim. <laughs> unfortunately, not quite that funny, I guess. Jim, unfortunately, and Pam, unfortunately, has her hopes dashed. You know, that's what they should, they should have used Creed as the Mickey uh, figure. <laughs> well, they, they could have... You're a thing. bum! <laughs> Instead of making Dwight the champion, why not make Creed the ping pong champion? That would be much more believable, you know. And there's a deleted scene with him where he says he learned how to play it in uh, uh, Cambodia or something. He picked up the game, but you know that would have been pretty funny. Yeah, he could have been wearing his little wool cap <laughs> sitting in there. Maybe they tried. Maybe Creed Bratton like tore a rotator cuff trying to. Oh man. <laughs> It there, you know? uh, who needs the writers? You and I will take this show to new heights. <laughs> All right, well, like I said, it doesn't quite work out the way Pam hoped. Uh, Jim comes back for his rematch, and uh, she's not too happy. Way to go. See that? Yeah, the floppy-haired girl you did want a point. Hey, hey, you, you. I don't like your boyfriend because, 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 because he's sick of ping you know pong. What? I'm sick of this. Let's go, you and me. What? Let's go. Pick up a paddle. Okay. Bring it on. I am. You think you can handle this? In my sleep. It's okay. Valley for sure. P. O. P. O. Do you want to go play on the table upstairs? Oh. You know, I guess you can say, like, we were talking about, okay, what would make this different from a regular traditional sitcom? And I guess the angle that they're taking here is that usually it's the dumb guys who are all super competitive. Uh, here, of course, then we have the two guys who really could care less. All right, well, as of today, there's only two deleted scenes posted, in, And as I said, a lot of weeks I'm usually really complaining that they're not in the episode. And this week, I think that both of them were pretty judiciously cut. You'll see, you know, well, we'll talk about it afterwards, I guess. So where do you learn how to play? Cambodia, you? My friend's basement. All right, you ready to start? Let's do this thing. What are you doing? We're not playing strip punk? Okay. I, I totally see that. Right there first. Yeah. yeah. Right, I think that's the doing? question that you have. It's a problem with the client. I think, Jim. Blah, if... blah, 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 blah. Jim, come on. We got to get in there and practice. Okay? I'm not kidding. Now, get good work done. Concentrate. All right. On your backhand. Booyah! It's all you're playing for fun. No one paid me to say booyah, and I'll pick up the ball. But it's closer to you. Now it isn't. What are you guys doing? Oh, we're in a meeting. Oh, yeah? How long is this meeting going to last? Uh, I have next meeting. I played a lot of Pong growing up. Spent a lot of time on cruise ships. I'm also a monster snorkeler. Okay. You know what? This table's not regulation. Good eye. It's an oval. You're measuring the table. Do you know anything about physics? Do you? Surf. Let's go. Damn it! These balls are weighted weird, aren't they? Yep. Yeah. 
Get another one. Now, wait a minute. You're not going to punch a wall or me or anything like that if you don't win the point, right? I don't know. No, okay? Just serve. I have some uh, experience. I um, once had to testify in a traffic accident case. Then you're an old hand at this. Yes. My testimony was actually very important um, because the accident was my fault. So, Meredith, it's another time. Yes, Michael is going to be cross-examined today, which will be very, very risky for me. It's not an easy decision to make, but uh, it's a deposition. It's not going to be in front of a judge, and it's $4 million. Before we continue, I would like to make an opening statement. Fine. Please be brief. Ladies and gentlemen of the table, I would just like to say what a joy it is for me to be here today, but frankly at my age, it's a joy to be anywhere. I'm only 44, so I'm not old, and I guess that doesn't really play. But the point is, I have a sense of humor, and I implore you all to have a sense of humor as well. Jan, David, my wonderful girlfriend, my gorgeous company, why don't we all just take a big deep breath and just relax? Good. That feels good. All right. Everybody feel better? Two years ago, when you, quote, kissed and fondled in the Chili's parking lot. Were you aware of company guidelines specifically discouraging that behavior? No, no, no. It, yeah, I'm sorry, that's, that's not a word. Yeah. Yeah. No. Okay. Were you aware that when Jan was with you, she claimed to be visiting clients or uh, traveling to see her sister in Scottsdale? Very nice! I'm sorry. Excuse me? High five! Sometimes when he gets nervous, he uh, talks like Borat. Okay, Mr. Scott, would you mind um, speaking in your normal voice for us, please? Can't stop! We've got normal talk. That is like the stupidest oh, thing God, I've ever painful. heard in my life. And the sad, sad thing is, Ian, this is the thing that drives me nuts. And as someone who makes this podcast, I swear to God, on the NBC.com page where you saw that clip of Michael Scott pretending to be Borat, someone had said that was the most brilliant scene they've ever seen. I have no idea what the hell people think <laughs> about this stuff. I thought that was horrendous. Uh, some of that was good. I mean, the... I like the n- yo, or and yes, and 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 yo or whatever he's trying to say. That was okay. That was kind of funny. The Andy stuff was okay. Kind of funny. I like the Andy stuff one just because it was fun to see him. But I mean, I, he doesn't listen to this podcast. But I got a buddy who is that guy. <laughs> when you're beating him in, in pool, these balls are weighted the wrong. The cue stick, you know, <laughs> oh, the chalks, oh, you know, it's weighted wrong. The the ends are bad. <laughs> Or you play darts, and if you're beating him, oh, you know, the, the tips are bent, you know, it's bowling, and, uh, oh, there's something, they didn't wax those, they wax those lanes too much or whatever. It's like, you know, why can't you just admit you suck or, that, you know, accept that I'm beating you? You know, the sad thing is, I mean, that was Ed Helms' whole contribution to this episode. He didn't appear actually in the aired episode at all. I didn't even think about that until you played that deleted scene. There's the extra side story. And we've been talking about this before, too, how Jim keeps messing with Andy after he broke his brain. There you go. He brings it up again. <laughs> You're not going to punch me, punch a wall, are you? I like that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I mean, no, of course not. <laughs> Phyllis and Stanley stuff I liked. I liked a lot of the stuff. But, what, dude, you see what I'm talking about with that Pam scene in there? That was insane. For her to get, yeah, that worked up about it. But, uh, you know, just delete Well, you're right. Deleted scenes are supposed to be... Part uh, of the show canon, yeah. Right. So I guess I can't say that, hey, it was a deleted scene at least. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm i not that strict on it. It was deleted. For me, it was deleted. That's fine, because that was really over the top. Interrupting them, telling them, like, to shut up, because this is more important to do the stupid ping-pong thing. That was just so... I don't know. I, 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 that wasn't Pam. I don't know what... 
I don't know what pod person that was that impr- that uh, took over for her that day. Uh, any messages? Yeah, just a fact. Oh, Hammond is from corporate. How many times have I told you that there's a special filing cabinet for things from corporate? Yeah. Oh, the waste paper basket. <laughs> <laughs> Why well, I didn't uh, want to get it. You put it in the garbage can that was a special filing cabinet. Yeah, uh, that was a joke. All right, a couple of strike things. Uh, if you want to try to help end the strike as soon as possible, if it doesn't end this weekend, the writers are suggesting that we all write a note, an actual real letter, and send it to NBC honcho Jeff Zucker telling him that we want our shows back. So send that to Jeff Zucker at 30 Rockefeller Plaza, New York, New York, 10112, and uh, drop a line to Liz Lemon, I guess, as as long as you're there. OfficeFansForOfficeWriters.com is still looking to collect letters and notes from fans to put into a scrapbook that they will give to the writers of The Office. The goal is to show that the fans are behind them and their cause. Please visit the website for... More info, that's officefansforofficewriters.com, all one word. All right, well, this is another, uh, what else can you do to try to help? Uh, as we just talked about before, uh, 102 workers on the office who are considered to be, quote-unquote, below-the-line workers uh, have been let go, and it's looking for them if the strike goes on much longer as a very grim Christmas season. So a new donation drive has been started to help support those people. The Office Fan Christmas Fund has so far collected over $3,600, and their goal is to get over $10,000, or about $100 at least per person, by December 21st. All money collected will be turned over to Office Producer Kent Spornak to distribute to the affected crew members. You can visit myspace.com OFCF to contribute and any amount is appreciated. Now, this may look a little sketchy. However, she has been in touch with Kent Zbornak. Kent Zbornak has officially uh, said that this is legit on office tally. So okay. if you buy well, into that, my question. If you buy, I guess if you trust Tanster, you trust office tally to be on the level, then this uh, is on the level. The office actors were informed on Thursday that their contracts have been suspended for the next five weeks, during which time they'll receive 50% of their usual salaries. Under the SAG contract, the studios have the right to either suspend at half pay, suspend at full pay, or release the stars from their contracts with the expectations of being rehired once the stoppage ends. So, yeah, no big deal, I guess. It's sort of in the Screen Actors Guild contract where they have those three options during a stoppage. Um, most of the stars, you know, it's not going to really bother them probably all that much. But um, but if you get licensed to wed too, you'll know why. <laughs> One side of good news here, though, is that uh, according to Variety, the Writers Guild and the studio heads are going to meet again to negotiate on the deal on November 26th. Uh, So hopefully that will lead into some positive outcome. Uh, I don't know if this makes any difference or not, but several polls were conducted over the last week or so that showed that 60% of those surveyed favored and supported the writers, while only 4% supported the studio's position, so definitely unpopular. John Krasinski, aside from appearing in some seasonal Gap ads, is also the cover boy of the December issue of Men's Health magazine. Is he going to have his shirt off? (laughs) Inside, he talks about his experiences with The Office and with George Clooney, and dresses up in vintage sports uniforms for a photo shoot. Check your newsstand now. Uh, Also, the People's 2007 sexy issue came out this last Friday and for some uh, some reason Rain Wilson has been chosen as one of the sexy nerds of 2007 along with uh, such people as Masioka and that dude from Chuck who looks just like John Krasinski. Head on over to people.com to catch a video also of Rain reacting to this quote unquote honor. Casual game company Mumbo Jumbo has released their The Office video game this past week uh, says Mumbo Jumbo, put yourself to the test as you dive into the hilarious environment by maneuvering through the quirky and frenzied fun of the office game. Play pranks on your rivals to slow them down, earn points by helping out your coworkers, and avoid getting distracted by the office visitors, all while competing to be the best Dunder Mifflin paper salesperson you can. That's what they say. Now what I say, however, is blah. 
Um, if you've ever played this game, I don't know if you played this kind of famous Flash game called uh, Diner Dash. Uh, no. we, well, you basically, what you do in this game is you just basically run back and forth assembling things. You, you're fetching things for people. It's kind of fun for about 20 minutes, maybe. And you can download a free demo from the, the mumbojumbo.com website and judge for yourself. I mean, the game's going for 19.99, I think. So if if you think it's fun, um, you know, go ahead and give it a shot. Give that demo a try. But so you would play a game about work while you're at work. Well, I mean, this is how the game works, though. It, it they have this little story set up where supposedly Michael says that whoever gets the most sales or something during the month is going to win a free month of vacation. And so Jim gets all geeked up that he's going to win the contest. And so basically you control Jim, and he fights against different people in the office. So the first, like, eight rounds, you fight against Dwight. And then the next round, the next set of rounds, you fight against Ryan and then Andy eventually and some other people. I quit after the after going through, like, nine rounds. Um, I, had I quit enough. listening <laughs> to what you were saying, actually, after about three <laughs> sentences ago. So. All right. Well, like I said, it's, it's not that great. It does have a few nice touches, some sound effects, some, some um, pranks that you can pull on the people, uh, clips from the show, whatever. So uh, check it out, but uh, don't be too excited. It looks like NBC is jumping on the eBay bandwagon here. Starting November 19th, they're going to begin auctioning off various items and props as seen on your favorite NBC shows including The Office. Apparently, each auction will last for about two to three weeks, uh, with new items being added for each new round. Uh, items up in the first round from The Office include Michael's Timex watch and some warehouse shirts, among maybe some other stuff. Head on over to NBC.com slash auctions for more information. And uh, I'm Where's only, that money going? Yeah, into their pocket. I, I can only imagine. Uh, no, actually, I think this is going towards the United Way, to tell you the truth. Okay. I, I posted this on the blog page that a percentage of the profits are going to go to some United Way charities. Um, I don't know. I can only imagine how, how high or expensive some of these things are going to be. They're actually auctioning off some paintings from Heroes, which you can imagine are going to probably make some serious cash. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but there you go. If you want Michael's watch or uh, Michael's lucky tie, which will be in an upcoming auction, keep your eyes posted, I guess. If they auction off uh, any of the women from Chuck, I'll, I'll probably enter. <laughs> Remember, that's what she said. Mugs and T-shirts are now available. Check out our Cafe Press store at www.cafepress.com slash podcast. Yep, I bought two shirts last week for myself, Ian, and I think now we're up to three sales. Awesome. Awesome stuff. All right. Well, yeah, you know, holiday season's coming up, so I'm sure. Uh, exactly. You know, uh, what is it? Red Friday or whatever? They'll probably Black, be Black Friday. Black Friday. Try not to crash the servers. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I mean, there's we're thousands and thousands of Twist listeners out there, so come on, guys. Let's put a few shekels in the coffer. All right. Well, cast TV appearances. Uh, the only one we have so far coming up is Steve Carell. Will be on the Tonight Show on November 20th which is, of course, a rerun from November 2nd. So there you go. And our have you next... seen Dan in real life yet? I have not seen it, no. Nor have I. Kevin spoke quite highly of it, though, so okay. we will have to see. Um, next new episode of The Office? Well, mm-hmm. your guess is as good as mine, folks. So the next week, I'll, I'll it was next Thursday, they're going to be re-airing The Coup from Season 3, where, of course, Dwight tries to take over Michael's job behind his back. That was, uh, I think that was the episode. You can go back and listen to the episode that we did for that last year. I think that was me solo for an hour talking by myself about the coup, I think, when oh, you were awesome. in Hawaii last year. I wish I was going back to Hawaii. Uh, yeah. Maybe I'll do that. Dirty bastard. There are certain things a boss does not share with his employees. His salary, his bed, and I am not going to tell them that I'll be reading their emails. I gotta erase a lot of stuff. Just so you know, if you have any sensitive emails, they need to be deleted immediately. I know. A lot of stuff. All right, here. Emails posted by Phil on the blog page. He says, at the end of the podcast last week, both of you, Drew and I, refer to Jim having an option of leaving Dunder Mifflin and going to school in another city. A great plot twist would be for Jim to leave and go to school in Utica. Imagine the plot variations. Well, I guess, you know, with Rashida Jones not really having any serious connection to 
the show anymore. I think that that plotline is probably better left unsaid. However, um, you know, if they want to play this out, I think that's got to be the, maybe the series finale that uh, the two of them maybe move off to greener pastures. This was posted by Val on the blog page. In the podcast near the end, Matt was talking about Jim either staying at Dunder Mifflin or finding another job and if Pam would be in support of that. I was just remembering a scene from season two where Jim says something to Pam like, you don't want to be a reception forever. receptionist forever, do you? And she answers, excuse me, but I'm happy with my choices. Uh, with Miss Fancy New Pam, I wonder why she isn't starting to look for another job. I know she's doing more of her artwork, but she could easily run that office just as well as Jim or Michael. I just feel like that's another plot line they haven't touched on in a while. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, I, the short answer is that, of course, they'll not have a show if the two of them leave. So, I mean, that's the main primary reason for it. Um, I, I mentioned that from before that in the, I believe in the Girls and Boys episode, uh, we had that scene where Pam kind of talks about, you know, where she wants to live. And she talks about this, she always wanted to live in a house at the terrace. And there weren't any houses like that around here. And she starts to cry. Oh, and uh, it's a very heart, heart uh, kind of crushing scene. And, you know, yeah, it seems natural right now. Why would she stay? I think because of Jim. You know, if Jim left and they're still together, I definitely see no reason why she would want to stay there. Yeah, we, we've seen throughout this series, she definitely is the one that runs that office. <laughs> All right, well, this is posted by Emma. She says, I think the whole should he stay or go arc seems like a much bigger writing challenge than keeping the magic alive now that he and Pam are together. The show initially aimed to capture the drudgery of office life, the feeling of being trapped in a meaningless job, and the occasional bright spots that get you through it. There really is difficult tension between allowing the characters to develop, grow, and pursue their dreams while still keeping them in the office and not completely losing sight of the show's original premise. It'll be interesting to see how the writers handle it. Well, it comes down to what this show is really about, right? I mean, is this a show about working in the office, or deep down is this a show about relationships? The truth of the matter is that most people, most average people would probably just stay in a job that they don't like and get stuck in a rut and just kind of spin their wheels. However, that's not really entertaining television. <laughs> even in an office, even in a show that's geared towards that, that that's what the premise of the show was originally, I think that we as viewers, we need to see something happen. We don't want to see static, unchanging character development in our show. So I think that's really hard to deal with. And like I said, you know, if they logically move or if they logically would have, would go and get a different job, then, of course, the show would be over. So And, and maybe that's something they're saving for, you know, when the, when the end is in sight. Yeah, it could be interesting. We'll just have to wait and see. All right. This was posted by Mark. When things get going again in the dream future, there's definitely going to be a union-slash-strike-related episode with the warehouse workers, right? Seems too obvious. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting point, because we did have that one episode where Daryl uh, and, and Roy were trying to start up doing a union, and Michael didn't yeah. have the balls to, <laughs> to say anything, but Jan dropped the hammer. So that could be that could be pretty interesting, I guess. That would be kind of funny, although I wonder if it's maybe a little too... Uh, a little too raw. A little too raw, or maybe you just have... Suddenly you'd have these uh, monologues or where people were uh, getting off their their views, you know? <laughs> yeah, maybe next season, perhaps, when it's a, a little bit in the, in the past, hopefully. All right, uh, this comes from Cindy. She says, the deposition was absolutely hilarious. Matt, you've been looking for a redemptive moment, and I totally saw it when Michael was talking to David Wallace at the end doesn't matter what a buffoon he is, he made it very obvious that he's more committed to the company than he is to Jan. Something about that was heartwarming. Maybe just the confirmation that Dunder Mifflin is his family. So, yeah, uh, I guess... I totally agree with that. That's what I, I was thinking, you know, what made him turn on Jan, so to speak. And, then, yeah, it's a, he does think of Dunder Mifflin as his family. Yeah, but in, in the end, I mean, he still made a kind of a calculated decision. It wasn't like, oh, Dunder Mifflin's great. He just felt more betrayed by Jan. I think he felt betrayed by both the and company hose, and man. Jan. <laughs> oh, good Lord. All right, well, let's, uh, we saved the best for last here, Ian, so go ahead. Uh, this is posted by uh, one Mr. Kevin Crossman, <laughs> who says, With all the focus on Jan's twins this in this episode, 
Am I the only one who has noticed that Pam seems to be at least a cup size larger this season? <laughs> well, Kevin, I was I was uh, thinking of um, those assets myself. You know, and, and the sad thing is that I actually noticed that on Thursday as well. So <laughs> part of the reason why we put this in here is because all three of us are thinking the same thing independently. I, my theory is that, you know, like if, if uh, Jenna Fisher's wearing a back brace, you know, it's got to... <laughs> lifts and separates and yeah, some underwire yeah. back brace support perhaps or right, i don't know but i mean I'm, I'm, obviously she's wearing the tight sweaters now instead of the uh from cardigans and button down shirts so i don't know but yeah uh what really else is there to say kevin nice catch well, that's about gonna do it for us this week folks join me in about two to three weeks for episode 35 a retro return to the season one classic healthcare Please send any comments or constructive compliments to TWSSpodcast.com and visit the show blog page at TWSSpodcast.com. If you have a chance, please leave positive feedback on iTunes and help spread the word in the various The Office-related forums. Every little bit helps. Check out Ian's blog at FriedRiceThoughts.blogspot.com and check out his mad sports writing skills at BlessYouBoys.com. Music for this episode provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com. And remember, head on over to nbc.com slash the office during the week for more deleted scenes, interviews, episode recaps, blogs from Dwight and Creed, and much, much more. All right, Ian, it's just like old times, man. Glad to have you uh, back. It's good to be back. Take it easy, everybody.